You know, I couldn't think of anything I liked, and I was like, what do I like? Lego. Lego. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Poorly Informed. Today is a slightly different episode due to a certain individual not gracing us with his presence. Peter is somewhere far away, probably having a very good time in this holiday season, while we're all sitting here doing the hard work recording. So, you can hear the benefits of our hard work. Now, today's episode is hopefully an interesting one. I know I say that every time, because they usually are, in my opinion at least. But anyway, enough about me. This episode is all about the threats facing humanity. This affects all of us. This could potentially affect you in your lifetime. This is could... episode to start the year with. Exactly. It's a very cheerful episode talking about the deaths of you and everyone you love. Um, so on that note, we're going to go around. I'm just going to ask uh, everyone, uh, the two people with me, damn it, Peter, um, what they think the biggest or most interesting threat to them is, which is kind of a scary thought, having an interesting threat. I was thinking about this earlier, and uh, this very odd to think about what the most interesting way for humanity to die would be. But, you know, that's what we do here. We do interesting things. So without further ado, Max, what is your choice of uh, threat for humanity today? Uh, I've gone for, I was going to say cliche, but kind of, I think all of our answers are going to be pretty cliche today. Uh, so I've gone for AI. I was going to say evil AI, but not necessarily evil just kind of AI, which then, through its action, causes mass casualties and a disaster, really. So do you think this has got a particular likelihood of happening within our lifetime? Particularly, sort of, threatening to you? Um, don't really know, really. It's, it's one of those things where you have no idea how it's going to plan out, because at the moment we can't really compute how to compute... Oh, I'm funny. Um, can't actually think in our heads of how it's going to work because you know we can't get AIs to think at the moment so there's, there's an optimistic view of it and it's a pessimistic view of it and it's I don't know so I think it's got about a 30% chance of happening you know like no way, way lower than that if the world ends there's a 20% chance it'll be because of that if you know in our lifetime okay that didn't make much sense but just go with it okay I, I think you'll get what you're on about so <laughs> Okay, Theo, what is your uh, I'm of choice? The war to end all wars, primarily because there will be no one left to do any war. So I think that um, if there's going to be a conflict, it will be a global conflict brought about as international and global institutions decline, fall into disrepair. Um, there's the EU factories, there's the UN factories. Countries are hugging less tightly. Um, and have room to beat the hell out of each other. Uh, and I think there's a lot of flashpoints in the world, more so than the past decade, um, going into 2019. So over the next 50 years, if something is going to wipe out humanity, I say it will be a war. Okay. Between Who do you think it's going to be between? Or uh, do you think it's going to be like ideological, sort of resource-driven, or just it's, between two countries? I think it's going to be... It always comes down to ideological... Um, now that, I mean, I, I don't know, I'm no expert, I suppose, um, on military history, but... Yeah, I think you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all like to think we are, let's be honest. Um, I, I think, it's, it's a good question, I haven't considered what type, along what lines it will be for, but I can't see, for instance, the United States and China. I think if you're going to have a world war, it's going to be... United States and China will be on opposing sides, 
or maybe it's a proxy conflict, um, but they'll still be, you know, manoeuvring their own mm. um, sides, as we've seen in Syria with the US and Russia yeah. uh, and Yemen, uh, between the Saudis and the Iranians. But surely, by definition, a proxy war isn't a global war. Yeah, a proxy war wouldn't re- result in global war. No, it'd be a proxy war that's escalated. Like, yeah, I, th- I, I think it, you could start off with a proxy war that spills out of control. Um, mm. And it didn't need to be a big war either in terms of scope. So, so Vietnam, for instance, drew a lot of the reputation out from the US um, and hurt them quite heavily. Uh, Korea Afghanistan, almost escalated. Yeah, mm. uh, Korea did almost escalate. Yeah. Douglas MacArthur, head of the UN forces there, wanted to launch a nuclear bomb on China um, and came fairly close to doing so. Uh, not really. Like, Eisenhower, was he, was he the president? No, Truman. Truman, yeah, he was He was like, no, he was not. Yeah, uh, true, Truman overruled him, but the fact that it had to go but that high up. It was sort of only one or two levels below that this was an idea and this was being put forward yeah, as the people, way to people win this responded. war. Yeah, didn't he? Want, he wanted to. It wasn't just one. He wanted to do a load on the border between Korea and China, so that they couldn't move any troops through it because it was so irradiated. Maybe that was it. Um, I think what a lot of this comes down to is as soon as nuclear weapons are used, they only have to be used once, so, and so, it sets off. So yeah, I, I'm saying I would prefer. I realize idealism doesn't really come into a death conflict, but I would. <laughs> I, I in this case, I think you can only consider a war without nuclear weapons. If you consider a war with nuclear weapons, that's it, game over. There's nothing really to talk about, isn't there? Yeah. So let's say it's a conventional war which is spilled out of control uh, or which is bleeding. So Afghanistan, the Soviet Union, bled the USSR dry. Uh, let's say it's something like that, which is um, destroying the proxy nation, the, the, the um, manipulator nations and is now beginning to escalate and become a wider conflict, mm. uh, nuclear weapons are a bit further down that path. Then but do you think once you get to nuclear weapons, that is the point where there is no return? Once you are there, humanity is kind of... We have no... Can we, can we pull it back from the brink, even if a nuclear general nuclear it would, war starts? It would take, I mean, imagine if a nuclear weapon had been launched in your country. It would take incredible compassion and restraint in the middle of a war to say, no, I'm not going to wipe out... What is just another... Uh, yeah. a billion other human beings because I don't want this to escalate. You, you would, that would be a death wish, but it would stop a nuclear conflict from happening. And it would take that level of, of, of uh, as I say, compassion and restraint to stop um, a nuclear holocaust from occurring. Yeah, but surely that wiping everyone out relies on everyone being involved. Because, say, Switzerland, for example, if they don't get involved in stuff, if there was a nuclear war, say, between... America and Russia, let's go with the, uh, the cliche. Yeah. Uh, America and Russia, nuclear war, almost everyone gets involved. There's obviously, like, you know, some small countries that don't get involved, and Switzerland doesn't get involved. Well, I quite like it happening in Switzerland because then Peter, on his pretentious middle class skiing holiday, would be wiped out. Uh-huh. He's in France, though, isn't he? Oh, he's on the border. It's like a nuclear fallout. Yeah, yeah he's gone. Oh, yeah, I forgot about yeah. that. So, yeah, there might be... Yeah, how bad is nuclear fallout? Bad. Like, it's pretty bad. It, but... it depends on what kind of weaponry they're using and how close it is. There are loads of factors. But... So, for instance, Chernobyl, you have children... With, in fact, I was reading about it, actually, so um, the way I heard about it, there's a British charity, there's an exchange scheme, so it sponsors children in Belarus suffering from the Chernobyl fallout to come to the UK and spend a Christmas in a proper house with proper food uh, and warmth and shelter and stuff. Um, and they get, like, three socks for Christmas. Oh, <laughs> you had to go there, didn't you? Um... I, yeah, but so for instance, the fallout from Chernobyl, these are kids born 
uh, with physical defects, with mental uh, mental concerns, um, and that's from nuclear fallout 10, 30, 40 years later. Okay. Um, so a nuclear holocaust would be far worse. So if you look at the Japanese uh, around Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, an Australian soldiers who were stationed there, because garrison troops as well, really badly. It, it, it's safe to assume it would harm a lot of the world's population if there was seven yeah. nuclear weapons fired. But would it be able to wipe it out if no, there were those few, you know, those few areas that weren't directly involved? No, but it would wipe out any sense of progress the human race had built up over the past 50 years. So you would have industry, but there would be no, there'd be no economies of scale, there'd be no globalisation, there'd be nothing countries would just be existing and surviving yeah especially yeah. now with how much we rely on sort of foreign imports and things like i don't quite know about switzerland's agriculture but i'd assume they probably import a lot from france yeah. well and any modern economy yeah. has to run with imports and exports with because protectionism is failure <laughs> so free market go 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 over there well actually i'll just read here um something interesting about chernobyl was uh, as far as they can tell, the from what I, just a brief skim of this, it was actually thyroid cancer and leukemia, and sort of some cataracts operations, sort of okay. causing cataracts. Um, those were the main increases, and actually, other than that, they haven't had too many. It, okay. Like, it, it's not this. Okay, suddenly, if you were anywhere near it, you're gonna like uh, su- suffer a horrible death or get cancers all your life. There are increases in certain kinds, but it's not as dramatic as everyone is going to die. I mean, it's actually very safe to go into Chernobyl um, as long as you stand the path in the road because the yeah. rain has washed the radiation off. Yeah, the dangers when you go into the as Top Gear proved and they did that Ukrainian challenge. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> if you go into the forests or the fields or the gardens, because the nature has absorbed all of the radiation, that is extremely dangerous. So actually, it's not too not too hard to enter Chernobyl and be absolutely fine. Well, obviously that's not as bad as a nuclear weapon. Although, how quickly was Hiroshima and Nagasaki? How... Because obviously there's still cities there now, they've rebuilt them. How quickly was that after the... Well, I, mean, I, I bet, I think it... I don't really know, to be honest. Maybe Will could do some... or I'll, I'll do some research now. I mean, I know definitely the generation living there at the time, and as I say, the generation of Australian soldiers, which... The garrison there um, were uh, badly affected. Yeah. Well, and I suppose now nuclear bombs are more powerful compared to those ones. Like, obviously, it's not going to be the what is it, the SAR bomb? SAR bomb. It's not going to be that every single time, but they are. Well, it, and it really depends on the the because there's a real difference between these large city destroying nuclear weapons and sort of local, more tactical nuclear weapons that are designed for use in a military situation where. There's a bunker over here. We need that in the area a mile around it gone, rather than we need this city gone. I mean, it's still going to cause more than one mile of damage. Oh, yes. And, 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 yeah. and so even while um, hydrogen bombs, I think, are outlawed, aren't they, by the various SALT conventions and treaties between the USSR and the USA to prevent an escalation of nuclear conflict, you still have huge ICBMs with massive nuclear warheads. I mean, obviously, in the event of a war, they're not going to follow all these rules anyway. I'm pretty sure no. nuking a civilian city is against the... No, but you're not going to develop a... Um, you're not m- maybe developing a hydrogen bomb is going to take you more than six months. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. but I would be surprised if development had entirely ceased. 
like yeah, they, they probably have like plans that they can pretty quickly yeah so interestingly here it was about 1,800 documented cases of thyroid cancer in children who were between 0 and 14 years of age when the disaster occurred which is much higher than normal but at the same time it's not millions and millions of deaths but it is yeah. a major thing I think the thing with nuclear weapons is it's while they might not kill everyone and I think the I, I, would, I would even be inclined to say the majority of the world's population would survive an immediate nuclear attack even if it was all out from both sides but what would kill them is the destruction of infrastructure and governments and also radiation after like long-term yeah. radiation long-term effects as well and I think the biggest threat from a nuclear weapon is the the country's civil infrastructure and government because once they fall like we discussed many episodes ago and uh, what happens if a solar flare hits us if uh, if the power goes out the chances of a vast majority of the population dying become quite high just because it becomes difficult to move food around or communicate in any decent way so I, I, I think it does have a reasonably good chance of killing us all. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, so like going back a bit in case you're still wondering about um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, so the bombs are detonated so high up, so there's two types of radiation. Um, uh, I, I, this is uh, residual radioactivity. So the first type um, is the fallout of nuclear material and fission product, mostly dispersed by the atmosphere, blown away by the wind and the rain, whatever. The second type is neutron activation um, and the article I'm reading assures me that this wasn't possible because the bombs were detonated so high up uh, or relatively high up in the atmosphere so while there was leukemia in the children uh, in the middle term following the um, explosion and there was cancer within the generation living there um, lots of can cancer related cases in the 50s and 60s today the threat is non existent mm. um so i guess it depends on the situation and the way in which the bomb is deployed in that case of course it's a bomb dropped from a plane now it's rockets mm. so it depends on the but they may still explode at heights because modern icbms will have multiple warheads they'll be sort of very very high up in the atmosphere low space flight almost mm -hmm. and the, the way that they have targeted multiple cities over a very very large area so that what happens is they release these sort of almost like mini payloads, which can then spread over a much larger area and take out three cities at once. And I believe they are designed to... I, I Don't quote me on this. I'm not 100% sure. I could do some Googling in a second, but I believe they still... I don't think they explode ground level, simply because if you're exploding with... Say you explode in amongst buildings, the buildings are going to reduce some of the damage. If you explode above, even buildings further away are going to have nothing protecting them from the... The blast so in terms of the blast i think it's still beneficial to blow up some distance in the air okay anyway if, if you don't mind we could go back to the causes of this war obviously yeah. it's easy enough to talk about nuclear weaponry um I've, I'm obviously bought this because i'm quite interested in geopolitics uh, and how countries um are involved with each other in flashpoints and and how this will pan out and i think the, the, the causes that are cited a lot, especially in the past month or so, is ta the Taiwan Straits. So Xi Jinping um, has made a lot of noise about invading Taiwan. And as China's economy begins to wobble, that makes it maybe more likely that he invades Taiwan or talks about invading Taiwan in order to boost national prestige. Um, if that happens, the US is compelled to get involved. Um, it would maybe use bombers from Okinawa uh, or often the 7th Fleet carriers 
to destroy transport ship and that is natural war. Um, so what happens there? There's no there's no stable mechanism uh, between the two militaries at a high level to de-escalate conflict um, because what sort of conferences and meetups there are uh, thrown around depending on what the mood at the time is. Mm. So 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 say there was an escalation in the Taiwan Straits or in Korea, both of them would struggle to work with the other. To, de-escalate the tension. Is this different from the relationship between the USA and Russia, which do have things, something like a hotline between the two governments yes, and have a sort of a system in place for so, de-escalation? No, so I mean, yeah, uh, yes, it's different in the sense that the closest thing they have to a hotline is, um, we've heard your message and we'll get back to it as soon as possible line. So right. they have a hotline which isn't manned all the time, or it is manned, but there's no, there's not always a senior official ready to respond. So it might be, hey, so um, you're sending troops over to Taiwan, can you get back to us on that one? Uh, and the Chinese sort of just sort of ignore it. And what you can't do anything then. Right. Um, so maybe, maybe you have to contact the American ambassador in Beijing or whatever. Um, and that's a whole, you know, I mean, the bureaucracy yeah. could stop it. Uh, and by that point, China's landed on the Taiwanese mainland. Uh, and then we have a problem. And so you have maybe, that would be a direct American-Chinese conflict, mm. um, which could bring about a devastating war. And thankfully it wouldn't compel NATO to be involved, so France, Britain, Germany um, wouldn't necessarily have to be thrown in, but I can imagine America would... Um, Pressure yeah, heavily to, to, yeah. to get involved in some sort. And Russia, maybe just to have a dig at China, could come down, uh, have a dig at the US, could come down on China's side. And then you've got a West East conflict. Mm. Are there any other potential ones like American um, in the Ukraine at the moment with Russia and the Ukraine? So possibilities and that. Do you think that could escalate into war soon, or it would take something quite drastic because America's not directly it is not involved in the way in Ukraine that could pit it against Russian troops in the near future. Um, whereas with Taiwan and Korea, it is. Yeah. Uh, it has a stake in those things. So Ukraine would struggle, I think, to, to make things interesting. Interesting. Um, <laughs> to make things hot. Syria, again, touted for a while as some place where Cold War could go hot. Less so now because Assad's nearly won. Um, but I think there's some other Middle Eastern conflict which looks set to bubble up um, in a few years. So Yemen, still nowhere near resolved. Um, they broke a ceasefire and it failed within a few hours. Oh, the, oh they actually broke it? Yeah. So I, don't I, I don't know if it's still broken or, but it, it's quite sad. Um, so, yeah, I think the Middle East is always going to be a source of tension. And as China tries to push into Latin America and Africa um, at the expense of the US, we're going to see more power projection around the world, um, more opportunities for them to come into direct conflict. With each other. The only question I have about this is the um, relative power of these two nations, because while China is a great economic power, militarily it's still dwarfed by the US. And I'm yeah. wondering whether China would take a war simply because they probably could not win one unless they went for a nuclear strike. Yeah. I, that's Because they have 260 warheads to the US's, um, hang on, I'll just find the obscenely high, high number. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Isn't um, their army, isn't the Chinese army sort of 
Air Force and everything like that pretty outdated. Well, I say outdated by by America standards. Outdated. Like America well, is they're, cutting edge. They're just everything. bringing in bringing in the first fifth generation fighter, which matches the newest fifth generation fighters from the US, mm-hmm. and that is something that they're just in the process of doing. But in terms of land vehicles, they are probably. I mean, if it, if it's in China or around China's coastal waters, it's neither map. China probably has the edge because China China has a green water navy, which is a coastal navy. Um, it's got uh, it will have artillery ready to deploy. It will have practice as such scenarios time and time again. If it's any further out in the Pacific than on a line with the middle of Japan, um, if you can envisage where that is. Uh, then the America has the edge mm-hmm. because it's got, as I said, the seventh fleet permanently deployed in Guam, uh, massive naval batteries in Okinawa, um, power projection. It's got aircraft power projection on a scale no other country can even dream of dream of matching. Um, so it depends where the situation is. If it's in a proxy country, then it's all to play for, really. Interesting. So yeah, um, the US has 7,200 warheads to China's 260, oh, so goodness. that is still a rather scary number for a single country so to China have. China has to launch first. Yes, the, China does not win a second strike or yeah. retaliatory. But even then, like, there's no way China can nuke all of America. They, there's no way China can take out America's capability to nuke them back. No. So that's kind of what what kind of conflict you es- could escalate to the point where they be willing to do a strike to kind of guarantee um, well, yeah it would, it, it would have to be a conflict where people because because of the stig the stigma surrounding nuclear weapons <laughs> it's conflict, time to get rid of that nuclear weapon <laughs> stigma <laughs> you, you, you've got this um mental barrier towards considering nuclear weapons in yeah. um war and projections of war um so it would take something incredibly colossal um to shift that i think more than people realize mm. the, um before someone sends a nuclear weapon. And Trump alone can't send it. I think his defence secretary and foreign secretary, or secretary of state, rather, need to approve it. Um, Does he have a defence secretary? He's the guy who quits? Jim Mattis is outgoing. <laughs> so I guess it's the deputy secretary uh, yeah, of yeah. <laughs> When, like, sort of a secretary, so an actual secretary somewhere down in the office yeah, is yeah. now <laughs> the, the person to go just to. Just comes into work at nine in the morning, oh, right, an email about the nuclear weapons. So that's how you do it. You just sort of annoy the two, pe- the two other people who you need to agree to this. You annoy them so much they quit, and then you're just like, right, I can just do it myself. Yeah, yeah. press the big red button. Well, that is certainly an interesting one. So how, put a percentage chance of this happening in the next, say, 100 years. Um, can I get back to you on that? Because you I can. found a survey by some very clever people which gave a very sort of hypothetical up-in-the-air estimate of this stuff. So I will get back to you on that, but I'm going to move on. Okay, time. so we'll move on. So, Max, give us the rundown of the situation that you see ending the world, in the your sitch. opinion. Okay, so basically, AI gets, incre- gets, AI gets invented. Say Elon Musk makes an AI. Um, and then, so there's kind of two ways. They can either... Elon Musk. Elon Musk, yeah. Uh, do we want him in in command of the AI? Probably not. So basically, AI gets invented. It's super intelligent, so it can improve itself. So it then gets to the point where it doesn't need people. Because we'd probably, in order to get the best AI, we tell it, hey, do whatever you can to make yourself better. And then eventually that leads to, you know, I need 
this space of land for a new battery or something. Oh, there's people living there. Doesn't matter. And so it kills all the people. And then it gets to Skynet levels of the AI is trying to make itself better and it's trying to survive and it thinks people are going to turn it off and it kills all the people. So the main problem there is intents versus instructions. And with AI, you can't program it with your intent. So you give it your instructions. So the Ask I was reading used, I think it's Paperclip. So you tell it, build as many paperclips as possible. Definitely isn't the first article on Google when you uh, <laughs> search, will AI kill us? Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's like, um, you tell it to make something, it'll keep making, it'll, it'll maximise making this thing, it'll keep making it at the expense of people, it'll turn, it'll like keep going and eventually everyone is either enslaved under the AI or dead because it's... Or made into a paperclip. Or made into a paperclip, yeah. I found a risk assessment. So a few years ago, uh, 2008, an informal survey, um, an expert at the University of Oxford uh, talked about the percentage chance of certain things wiping us out before two thousand year 2100. The existential, these are existential risks, existential crises which would terminally wipe out humans. Um, they gave all wars, including civil wars, a 4% chance of wiping us out before 2100, which is... Depending on your frame of mind, that's quite high, or that's quite low. I'd say actually, four percent, maybe a little too low for me. Uh, I'm inclined to give it five, six percent. Um, but these are fine margins um, when you think when you think of the the lives involved. Yeah. So back onto you know the topic which we were discussing, Theo. <laughs> Interrupting. <laughs> so rude. Um, yeah. AI. I think just the fact that you. Because it's still technically a robot, and I feel like it would be very hard to give it a mind of its own that isn't just lots of complicated sets of instructions that loop. Like, in terms of, you know, be better, it's not like, I want to be better, it's I must be better. Mm. So you can't program morals into a computer. Although you could, what's it, the uh, Asimov's Laws of Robotics from iRobot. Um, <laughs> I thought they were supposed to be yeah, show even right. though no I thought they were supposed to show even if you did do these three things it still wouldn't work yeah that's, that that's the, the whole point, point of yeah. and because yeah you know don't it's like ignore the first rule in the case of this rule and then there's workarounds because if you have a super smart computer it's obviously going to find a way around a rules that a guy came up with there's an interesting um, metaphor I heard about this was it's like ants trying to keep a gorilla in a cage and the ants cannot even conceive of ways that the gorilla will get out of the cage because they don't they don't think on the level yeah. of something that much. Or if, I don't know, a gorilla tries to keep you in a cage, it, you, you can think of ways to get out that it would never even be able to comprehend. It's the same with us and, and AI. Yeah. We cannot comprehend how it could change these things or escape these limits we've set on but it. We, we, that's a flawed analogy because we know how to put a gorilla in a cage so it stays there. Yeah, but, yeah we're, but we're above we're it than in the oh, sort of the smartness kind of order of things. Whereas well, some of us are smarter than <laughs> Peter. But anyway, evil AI. Um, yeah. I think it's bad because if you make something super smart, i.e. humans, we're top of the food chain because we're the smartest. AI, top of the food chain because it's the smartest. And so then eventually, if you do some set of circumstances, we'll die. Unless we find a way to program morals into a computer. But then some would say it's equally unlikely that we ever actually build an AI, which is the sort of the flip side to that argument. Um, yeah. well, what's I mean, the term for 
AI that's not actually AI. Because you know, um, was, is it DeepMind? Is that the one that beat the people at Dota? Uh, yes, DeepMind yeah. did that. So that's, oh, that's an AI, but all it can do is, well, one of the main things it can do is play Dota. Like, it's the best in the world of Dota. What is it the best in the world of Dota? Uh, in a very limited set of circumstances, but that's changing in the future, and it will soon be able to beat everyone at Dota. For the most people at home, or work, or wherever you are, and for me, what is Dota? It's a very bad game. Uh, it's a very good game. Um, it, what, like Snakes it, and Ladders? No, it's, 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 a, it's a, well, a mo- massively online battle arena. arena. Basically, <laughs> nerd. <laughs> basically, it's a reasonably complicated game that it takes l- many hours to get very good at, and it's and there's no single set of, um, it's not like you're not on a board, you're, you're in a map where you can move around freely, so there's no, like, you move here, then move here. Right. It's a free-moving, free-flowing situation with 10 players involved. Okay. And so it's a lot more, it, and it can't be broken down very easily into do this, then do that, then do this. Yeah, but, so that's why it's more complicated for an AI to solve. But back to sorry. yeah. But Elon Musk is it, yeah. Elon Musk's AI beats a team of pro, are they a team pros. I I don't think it's Elon Musk's AI. It's, there's deep mind of Google. Ah, Google. Yeah, some some AI beats um a set of pros in a game. Uh, it's like chess. You know, you can't be a computer at chess. It's physically impossible. But, uh, Unless it lets you win. Well, chess is only a computer. The difference here, I guess, is it's... There's less life. possibilities, I suppose, in chess than there is in... Yeah, you just need a powerful computer to calculate yeah. all the... You can't pos- calculate all the possibilities because there are too many. Oh, However, too. because I'm I'm actually writing a, a game like that for a various project I'm doing, and actually I my AI that I use to play this game sort of against the person does the same thing, and it's incredibly computationally intensive, and mine can only think four moves ahead, and it takes about five seconds of time to figure that out so even just six or seven moves ahead would be taking sort of minutes and or longer and very quickly you run out of um computing time because it just takes too long yeah but you are pretty you're not as good you're not the, you're not the best person at coding in the world there's smarter people out there who can work out well no because this is not like yeah that's not a proper ai but also there was an ai that beat um the greatest player in the world at go which yeah. is a chinese game um and that learned how to play go by just playing against itself. Yeah. It, it downloaded the rules and just played so many versions against itself and became insanely good. Yeah. I thought we know it's still getting, it's okay. getting better. I'm going to have to say, sorry, I was wrong about that. No, it is Elon Musk for the OpenAI. It's Deep, yeah. and Because it, it's OpenAI that did the Dota. It's DeepMind that did Go. Ah, okay. Um, so what I was saying there was... Um, oh, yeah. Uh, so you have these AI, which they're not technically AI because they don't, they're not, lear- well, they are learning, but they're not sentience. Like, they learn to be the best at something just by doing it a load and then doing statistics of what's the best decision after this to make. So whether we can actually convert that into a fully sentient AI that can do whatever it wants is... But it's whether it even needs to be sentient, because yeah. then if, a, if an AI appears to be sentient, for all intents and purposes... An AI that appears to be sentient is sentient, I suppose. Yeah. And so if we find something that's so incredibly complex, it can emulate yeah. being sentient, then that is something that we could, that would just have a very similar effect. So we yeah. might not even have to build one like that, which makes it quite interesting. But there'll, there'll always be someone who wants to take that next step and try and make a sentient AI. Mm. And then you've got like, you know, was it Microsoft's, their kind of AI or learning thing that they put on Twitter that within 24 hours was, like, racist? And then and there, was the other one, there was the other one that became depressed after, <laughs> again, after, like, a couple hours of being on the internet. So, 
I mean, what was robot it? depressed. A year and a half ago, actually a year and a half ago, two years ago, Facebook built two um, AIs to communicate with each other and they had to shut it down because the AIs realised that they were being watched and observed and then made their own um, encrypted language to communicate with each other. It, it wasn't, I don't think it, that it was, um, and I believe this was they were communicating in a language that a third AI couldn't understand. I think that was, okay. there was a few things, bits and pieces about that headline in particular that people weren't quite sure okay. of. Um, but it shut, but, it but yeah, it means it's definitely possible that we get in a situation they where had, they had to shut it down because they yeah. thought well, this could spin out of control, and that was the but yeah, it, that was the days when Facebook was just an innocent internet company where you could see what our aunt saw on our holiday. Were they ever an innocent company? Like, they've always been selling. No, no, they've they've always been selling in, the public, in the public image. Yeah, but that's like, did anyone? I I think when people raise like Facebook selling your data, it's like. Did you not realise this? Like, how do you think they're, I was going to say one of the biggest, how do you think they're a massive company that makes a lot of money? It's not from all these ads on the side saying, do you want to put a candy crush? They're selling all your information. But mm. people didn't realise, because... Yeah, well, and also, concerning me, people don't value privacy that much. I'm, I'm fine. Like, I say I'm fine. It's like, um, I, yeah, I say I'm fine with it, but I'm fine because I've got nothing to hide. But if, in reality, am I okay with that? I don't know. Well, yeah, but privacy's not a thing. People are like, yes, you're whatever. Yeah. And people don't realise, actually, you're just reading all this information about these. You've got no concept of value of identity. Well, let's be fair. I like targeted ads. I'd rather have targeted ads than random ones. Because if someone's like, oh, do you want to buy this washing powder? I don't care. Someone's like, do you want to buy this Lego set? I'm like, yeah. So what are the chances, do you reckon, of uh, the AI somehow, some way, killing us all? Um, well, I'm, the chance of an AI like that actually happening, I reckon, is pretty low. I'm not going to give a percentage. But if that AI, if a super smart AI that's sentient does get created, uh, and we have, we have very few limits on it, like we can't shut it down easily, or it can make it so we can't shut it down. I reckon the chance of it happening would again be about probably 10%, 20% maybe, but- 20% oh, chance of that happening? If a super smart, fully sentient AI gets created. Oh, what, of killing us all? Of killing us all. So overall, that's probably like a, what, 1%, 2% chance of happening? Do you want to know what the nice people at Oxford said? What did they say? So all wars, including civil wars, is 4%. Yeah. Super intelligent AI. Yeah. 5%. 5%. Oh, All the chance of super intelligent AI killing us all. I mean, the overall, just for the frame of reference, the overall probability of human extinction before 2100 is 20%. Um, so a quarter of that is AI. Yeah. What yeah. are the other ones they said? Um, you've got mole mole molecular nanotechnology weapons. Now, that is an interesting one because that is something that I'm sure people are developing right now that yeah. we have no idea about. Because reckon, at least these other threats, we are sort of aware that nuclear weapons exist and yeah. we are aware that these incredibly complicated I mean, AIs could exist. Everyone, everyone hates on conspiracy theorists. But then you think about the fact that the US government probably are experimenting, yeah. experimenting with nanotechnology weapons and you're like i can see why they distrust the government yeah you know, I, I heard a great i heard a great conspiracy theory the other day that is um conspiracy theories were invented so that the oh yeah so to discount conspiracy theories so that no one would believe them the town conspiracy theory the town conspiracy theorist is was there to debunk and sort of um well make them sound worse the conspiracy theory about jfk being shot by his 
Here we go again. It's, it's the truth. Um, which is the OG conspiracy theory <laughs> was invented by the KGB to increase disinformation in the US government. Doesn't mean it's not true, though. It kind of does. <laughs> <laughs> if an enemy, if a rival superpower says, uh, yeah, no, your own government shot your own president, yeah, no, that's true. Uh, but didn't the, the USSR say that America is treating black people badly and that's bad? Everyone said America was treating black people yeah, badly, but... apart from South Africa. <laughs> Yeah, okay, but, uh, okay. For a right. superpower, enemy superpower, you can't face up to the truth. You can't face up to the truth. They did it. You God damn it, they did it. Conspiracy. Um, it was invented by the KGB. So that theory has lasted longer than the Soviet Union. Wow. <laughs> Lasting impact that that had. So yeah, um, I have no idea where we started this on, but to think about some of the other um, possible uh, ways we could all die in the next hundred years. I was thinking of an interesting one that is also probably quite unlikely, but feels like something that's more and more of a threat every day of a large-scale cyber attack, maybe in sort of a war sort of scenario, much like you would use nuclear weapons to obliterate a city. I mean, what if you just turned all the electricity and computers off and every, almost everything grinds to a halt, that kind of thing? Whether those threats are practical, I've heard opinions on both sides where some people think, oh yeah, electricity grids, they can go out just like that. Almost anyone can get to them, whereas other people have shown more faith in the defences. So I'm kind of not really sure on which side they actually fall on. But it's one of those things of there's probably, if you look at the US government, they have done Stuxnet before, which was an attack of unbelievable sophistication that contained so many so-called zero-day um, attacks, which are attacks that no one else knows about. Therefore, they have not been patched and therefore um, and, and any uh, target equipment with those um, sort of problems with them will be a threat. Well, yeah, sorry. Any Anything that you target with these attacks will be, um, you will be able to get into it, no problem, because they haven't designed a way to stop you yet. And it also contains some incredibly complicated bits of software from various possibly Israeli companies, as well as in the NSA, NSA that were essentially able to infiltrate one of, well, an incredibly secure network that was Completely, yeah, almost completely air gapped, which is the network controlling the um, Uranian. Uranian. It was in Iran and it was run by Iranians, but it was the uranium. Um, what's they called? The Iranian uranium. Uranium. Centrifuges. Centrifuges that are used for um, purifying and break it down into okay. sort of fuel for nuclear power plants. Yeah. And that was targeted and those were destroyed. And this was in about 2009. So the capacity for attacks has only increased. And the internet is incredibly vulnerable as it is. And as some people say, getting even worse with smart devices turning up. So it's one of those things that I think we could get unlucky. Some virus gets out there that nobody knows about. You couldn't take down a country. Yeah, turns off the scary. fridges and then everyone dies of food poisoning. Um, yeah, but it's not the whole thing that like defences have to be right yeah. How much food do you keep in the fridge? No, but I eat all my food out the fridge. Do you not just have, like, bread and fruit and... A man cannot live on bread alone, Theo. Although, to be fair, you probably check if it was off. But, like, chicken or something in the fridge, you don't, like, oh, I bought it yesterday, it's fine, get out. Actually, it's been hot, it's been cold, it's been warm all night, and then you die of salmonella. Not that that really kills you, but you get very ill, and that's how you take down the country. But what I was about to say, because I was so rudely interrupted again by Theo, um, was that okay. defences have to be right every single time, but the hacker only has to be right once. 
Yes, but I have more faith that our government has at least done something to protect the na um, national grid than just sort of leave it with an open door. I, mean, I, I, I have no conceptual references to do with coding, to do with hacking, uh, and, and, you know, I'm barely, I'm barely able to describe what a firewall does. Um, but at least from an observer's standpoint, surely there has been, as we live in a developed nation, um, I would imagine that we're fairly well protected. I think that's the first time anyone this year has said they're confident in our government. <laughs> well, it's only January the 4th, so, you know, you've got <laughs> another 360-odd days of probably still being the only person to say they're confident <laughs> in our government. Um, but then there is the fact that while our government is protecting us, um, we are not just fighting. It's not just like a teenager in his bedroom, that, that, that I mean, image of a hacker. It sometimes is, but we're also looking at governments and nation states that are sponsoring these attacks with the research and the knowledge behind sort of what would be put into nu designing nuclear weapons is now some of it being put into designing these incredibly sophisticated attacks. So I think it's one of those regions where if China really wants to get into something, they're probably going to be able to. The same with the US. I'm honestly the same with this country. We were one of the top in the world when it comes to cyber um, offensive capabilities and Israel as well. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure I have that much faith in any of the defences because I think we can probably get into everything anyway. Yeah. I mean, one of, the, one of the big state-sponsored uh, hacks was the, when, it, when hacking in cybersecurity first became a thing was when um, the release of the film The Interview, which is a satire of North Korea, was released and um, Sony's online infrastructure came crashing down a day before its premiere, if I remember rightly. And people obviously thought, what country would have the motivation <laughs> to do this? North Korea. And uh, so, I, yeah, that, that does show the obvious possibility of um, commercial infrastructure being savaged by online. We've seen time and time again, it's so easy, so relatively easy for individuals, for small groups to hack into massive firms um, Verizon lost data, Yahoo lost data, um, the NHS was hit by WannaCry. Again, I think the danger is you, you, you let's say, uh, Capita, who, who run the Army's recruitment service, get hit with a nasty bug. That's enough to probably put the army into some chaos. Do you even need to hit the government's infrastructure? What, when you can target private organisations that support the government in that way? That's a leading question, but I think you get what, what the point is. And you're not going to bait me into attacking, outsourcing and capitalism. <laughs> um, okay. But I think but they, they are vulnerable. Um, and I think they are as vulnerable as if you were mo trying to motivate undertrained, poorly um, motivated employees to rig up defence systems for your, for your government because there are no companies to outsource the jobs to. <laughs> okay, well, before we descend into the inevitable argument that is about to occur, I think that should top off the episode. So, um, any final thoughts you want to put out there? Yeah, climate change is probably going to kill us all anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm optimistic for the future. I think okay. we will still be alive by 2,500. Um, yeah, and then we'll go to space, and it doesn't matter. Because once we're in space, it'll be like a plague, and we can go around the universe and 
live there. Should we finish? Yes. I think that's please. enough. Okay, <laughs> so I also agree. Climate change will kill us all. And on that cheerful note, I think it is time to end. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, we're going to be putting more out in the new year. Um, we're going to keep going for a, a, the foreseeable future. Sorry about missing one last week, but that was just kind of life came together and collectively sort of just... It was a Christmas break. Yeah, yeah, we had to have a break over Christmas. And that is, as Will says, life came together. That's just what happened. We weren't able to put out an episode then, but in the future, we'll be one every week as per usual. Now, Theo is going to tell you exactly yeah. where you can contact us. So... If you listen to the podcast before, you know what's coming now. So you can get in contact with us at Twitter at, at informed underscore poorly, um, or you can email us at, at poorly, you know, poorly informed discussion at gmail.com. Um, I hope to hear from you guys there. Back to Will. So there we go. I think that rounds off everything from this episode. So it is just for me to say goodbye and good night or good morning. Or good afternoon. Or good day. Yeah, Peter. Um, he's not yeah. here. So he just about we knows, should get a gorilla to replace him. He just about knows how to ski downhill. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> sit, and, sit and read books. Um, or pretend to. And then just repeat what CGP Grey says. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's my job as well. There's two of us that can... I, I, I've not missed him. Have you missed him? No, it's been, been... it's been nice and slight smooth without him, you know, there's yeah. been no sort of mm. stupid tangents that have happened. We've had more tangents on the actual the topic. The actual topic, yeah. yeah. I, I, I've noticed, physically, obviously he's not there in the corner of my eye, but I feel this is a richer, stronger discussion we're having without him. Yeah. So we could either, we, do you want to do like a spin-off podcast without him? <laughs> or should we just kick him off this? We, mm, decisions, to... decisions. Yeah. I mean, he, brings, he brings nothing else to the table. Apart from that popcorn. Apart from the popcorn. I actually never got to keep them because of the popcorn. <laughs>